My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Listen to Scoopy Radio with Brandon Robinson. What's going on, good people? Brandon Scoop B. Robinson, senior writer at Heavy.com and the host of Heavy Lives with Scoop B. Another episode. Happy Labor Day first and foremost. Scoop B. Heavy Live with Scoop B. We're broadcasting from Heavy on Lakers Facebook page, Heavy on Celtics Facebook page, as well as from Periscope uh, on Twitter at Scoop B, as well as Heavy's YouTube channel. We got a special guest. I I heard a guy named employee number eight is in the building on Labor Day. Uh, we got my main man, Antoine Walker, 1990, 1996 NBA draftee on the line. What's going on, Antoine? Man, nothing much, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Appreciate it. Man, we, we've been trying to make this happen since I bumped into you uh, at the airport in Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> no, All-Star Weekend, right? Man, that was a fun weekend. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was a couple years ago, right? Back in Charlotte, right? That's when everybody was still outside. <laughs> All right. Yeah, this is true. Before how the week, before the pandemic. How are you adjusting to that? Um, it's been okay. I mean, you know, first and foremost, you know, I gotta give thanks to God. None of my family um have been sick. Um, my kids are healthy, friends, people that have been around me. I've had a few people have have COVID, but just small minor scares, nothing really major that they were able to quarantine and, and, and bounce right back. But for the most part, it's been great. I've been healthy. I've been able to stay kind of free from it. So um, it's been some times. I mean, for me personally, I'm a sports guy. Um, So, you know, the first couple months were tough. Having the NBA back, and it looks like we have baseball, football. Having sports back is huge for me. And everything that I do right now in my life is around sports. So um, it was tough in the beginning trying to figure out if we're going to have sports again. And it's slowly coming back. Obviously, we know everything is not back 100%, but it's, it's still good to have some semblance of sports. And, and, you know, hopefully shortly here, you know, we can hopefully find a virus and hopefully move past this pandemic. The sixth overall pick uh, in the 1996 NBA draft by way of the Boston Celtics, by way of Kentucky, by way of Mount Carmel mm-hmm. High School. Um, I, I've always wanted to know this. Uh, mm-hmm. What were your thoughts uh, when Patino be- went from being your college coach to your NBA coach? Um, that was a weird time in my life. I mean, actually, it, w- it was great. Um, I really, um, you know, obviously, Coach was a father figure for me. He really helped me in my development in college to becoming a pro. So when he was going to be the coach, I mean, I was excited about it because I had nothing but success with him. Um, it was great for a little while. Um, and what, what I mean by that, um, coach wanted to win right away. 
Mm -hmm. um, he'd have the patience that was necessary to be an NBA coach at the time. You know, he come from a situation where he had just won 75, 80% of his games. And then now you go into a rebuilding situation and the coach wasn't ready for that. Because Boston, and you know that, Boston's a city that wants results. Mm -hmm. And he took on, he took on a, a two-headed monster being the head coach and the GM. So when you take on that responsibility, um, the pressure lies on you. And so just play with too many people, um, change the roster over. And I'll give you just a small example. I mean, we traded Chauncey Billups at All-Star break. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, so that's like one example that was really, really like, you know, bad to do that. We just had, didn't have the patience. But overall, it was great. Um, coach paid me, um, made me my max contract. Um, the offense, he moved me from the small forward to the power forward. I mean, he did a lot of great things for me um, when he came to Boston. So I'm always grateful for that. I remember um, as a kid being a child reporter, being in the Celtics locker room, and you guys had uh, Chauncey in that team. You had Purvis Ellison. If I'm not mistaken, Kenny <laughs> Anderson was on that team too. You, you had yeah. a lot of different um, faces. And I remember you talked about Chauncey Billups. He had that part in the middle of his head. He had that Marbury part. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was his, you know, I feel like Chauncey was traded a lot and looked over and, you know, became an NBA champion. When you look at Chauncey, um, were there, is it like night and day being his teammate then versus now, or did you know then? I mean, it's cliche to say, did you know there was something special? But what did you see back then? I think it, first of all, overall third pick in the draft, so you know he had a, a high skill set. But I think the thing that was great about Chauncey is that his size. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was a big point guard. He could post up smaller guards. Um, he could shoot the three. I think he became a better three point shooter. As his career went on, right. um, I think obviously he would have learned how to run the team because you, obviously we saw him be able to do it. But he was only, you know, it was so early to kind of tell what he was going to be. But you knew he was going to be good. And, I, I, you know, we had a lot of success early. Um, you know, we was a 15-win team. I think that next year we won like 36, 37. So we doubled our wins. We started to make improvement. And he was a big part of it early on. So I thought he, he, he could have been great. But to say, you know, that, you know, right now it's, it's, it's the big argument, should he be in the Hall of Fame or not? Is he you know a Hall of Fame? It's tough. I mean, his resume is strong. Um, I would have to say yes. Um, it's very hard to, to keep a guy who was the finals MVP, um, has a, you know, an NBA championship, um, who's known for making a ton of clutch shots mm -hmm. in his career. And besides probably from the little Boston episode, um, he's been a solid to great player um, on every team he's been on. So you have to put that in consideration. So I definitely believe he should be in the Hall of Fame. Tuan, tell me something. Um, Boston yes. and Chicago. When I, my stepdad's from the west side. Boston, I'm mm -hmm. in and out being a northeastern myself. Um, you... Boston is, is not an easy city to play in. You look at New York, you look at L.A., you look at Chicago, too. You look at just all those different facets. Cam Newton comes into a situation playing for the Patriots, back behind the, the prowess and the greatness of um, Tom Brady. Mm. Is that a tough act to follow, and how should he handle that? You know what's great? It's probably the best team for him to go to is New England. And I'm going to tell you why. New England and, and it's, it's, it's a sports town. They get it. They understand sports. They understand all of the nuances of the game. They, so you don't have to prove anything to them. Now, do they want you to perform at a high level? Yes, of course. Um, but they're going to appreciate him. They will, they will appreciate um, what Cam will bring to the game. And let's be honest, I'm not a football analyst, but I am a football sports guy. They don't have much offensively around him. So they understand it will be a struggle. But when Cam is giving it his all and, you know, his mobility, using his legs and, and scrambling for extra five or six, seven yards, they're going to appreciate that. Um, they know Tom Brady's a tough act to follow. Um, and if the New England fans know, if the team does not make the same commitment that they made the time to continue to bring pieces around, uh, because everybody talks about the Patriots. The Patriots is not like, if you look at the history, they, they're one of the franchises that take chances on players that's had some troubled backgrounds. 
Mm-hmm. If you really look at it, they take the chances, and, and it kind of flies on the radar. The one thing the Patriots don't really do, they don't keep them for long, mm-hmm. but they do they do use them for whatever that situation is for that year or that moment. So um, I think if he keeps a level head, he comes in with the right attitude, um, the right spirit. I know he will. He's got a lot to, um, to play for. But, it's, you know what I'm saying, I sometimes – this is what sports that bothers me. You know, this is a guy that won the MVP of the league. He's been the prime of his career, and it's unfortunate that he has to be in this situation. And it's kind of the same thing with Tom Brady. I don't know about Tom's situation, but if a guy gives you six championships in 20 years and has done what he's done for a franchise, you would think he would deserve to get, you know, go out the way he wants to. So if he wanted to go out in New England and give it another shot, you would think the Patriots would do everything they, they can. But they ran like a business. So that's this. This was a prime example to let guys know, and Cam's situation too, you are playing sports and you are a business. You got to handle the business first. Don't get me wrong. You want to win. You want to be the best player you possibly could be, but you got to handle business first because when you're not able and when you lose that leverage, they take full advantage of you and, 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 and things don't work out pretty. They got Cam Newton playing for He's on a make-good deal. How, how does that happen? So perception. That's just some just some things you gotta think about. Perception. And perception is, is it becomes reality for a lot of people. When I hear the Tom Brady situation, it reminds me of Dwayne Wade in Miami when he left and then mm. being traded and coming back. Do you That's see a great it too? Um it's actually great. I didn't even think about that. When you really think about Dwayne Wade's situation, and obviously I know Dwayne, I know about that situation. It was the one thing Dwayne wanted to be taken care of. He wanted the Kobe Bryant deal. He wanted to, you know, kind of, I think it's Kobe's like two for 60, two for 50 or something like that, kind of towards the end. And Pat Riley was not willing to give that to him. And that's what made Dwayne Wade leave um, because he wanted to get rewarded for the things that he's done there for all the years he's played. And it's interesting. Hank Thompson, Hank Thomas is the agent of Dwayne Wade. And he's, um, he passed away and Pat Riley obviously has dealt with him in, over the years and came to the funeral as well. And they made, they, they, they got a friendship back together at this funeral and they, they got an opportunity to talk it out and, and apologize. And those guys end up making up and Dwayne eventually worked his way back to Miami. And if you really look at how Dwayne Wade's last, I think it was two years when he went back, it was kind of the red carpet was laid out for Dwayne. And I think Pat Riley was trying to make means of not doing doing right by Dwayne Wade on his way out the door the first time. So I tell me something. Uh, Cam Newton has the dab. Uh, I, I, I'm told you had something called the shimmy. <laughs> yeah. Two part question. Where did yes. the shimmy come from? Um, to be honest, man, it's, it's, it was not like something I just laid in the bed and thought about. I just was in, in college. I like to have fun. Um, we used to always dance and play and do all type of things. You know, when you're in school with your teammates. And in the game one day, I played a game with a lot of emotion. I just start, I just did it one time. And it's really hard to do because we're a pressing team back in college. <laughs> so you got to get back in the press. And I just did it in college. And coach told me, look, you can dance all you want. I have no problem with it. But you got to make sure that you get in that press. So if you look at some of my old college footage, um, I used to do it in college. So it came from school. It just took me a while to have the balls to do it in the NBA. <laughs> That's all. It's, it's the Matumbo moment. Matumbo had the finger wag. You had the shimmy. Yeah. Uh, Jay Williams had to slap the, the, the court when he was a Duke. Everybody had yeah. the thing. Second part question. Who does the shimmy better, you or Jason Tatum? Tatum got some work to do. Nobody does it. Hold on. Nobody does the shimmy better than me. But okay. nobody does it better than me. But uh, he's got some work to do before before I can even consider. Actually, you know who has a nice shimmy? Steph Curry has a nice shimmy. Uh-huh. Um, John Wall has a nice shimmy. Mm-hmm. But Jason Tatum in the bottom of that list right now. He got, he got some work to do. And then he doesn't – see, from him – he don't really show a lot of emotion when he plays, so he right. got he, he probably ain't really got no rhythm. 
off the court. You probably can't really dance. I don't know. I haven't been around the new Celtics that, a lot. So you're here with me at Live with Scoopy, uh, here with Antoine Walker. Uh, you in the back have uh, a Walker number eight jersey in a display case. Yes, sir. So I've been doing some digging, and somebody told me that that's not your eight Walker. That's Kimball Walker's eight Walker. Am I supposed to right? No, that's that's Antoine Walker. <laughs> that's how I mean. But so, uh, go ahead. So let's the little small history, quick, real quick. So you know when you when I got drafted in '96, mm -hmm. I was number twenty-four in college. Mm -hmm. So obviously, you know, you go pro, you want your same number. I get on the phone, press conference after I get drafted. The Celtics say, "What number you want?" Twenty-four. They said, no, it's retired. That number's in the rafters. So they said, how about this? We're going to tell you what numbers we got available because we have quite a few numbers that's retired. So they went through the thing. So I picked eight on the random. Very random. Nothing meant by it. Doesn't, didn't mean anything to me at all. It was just very random. And then I get drafted, and then Adidas. I signed with Adidas when I went pro. Mm -hmm. And the guy who was running Adidas at the time, Jim Gatto, came up with these 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 sayings. New kid on the block, um, kind of goes along with Boston. Employee number eight. Um, so he kind of make it up, made up all these things with the number eight. So that's how the number kind of got like attached to me. Um, so it was no real reason behind it. So the first time, obviously, I play, I get there, I get traded back to Boston, mm -hmm. and I get traded back. Al Jefferson had it. So Al Jefferson had it. I had to give him a watch to get my watch. <laughs> so I gave him a watch. What kind of watch? B Radio. At that time, I want to say a, a, maybe like a Jacob. Remember Jacob watches yeah. back in the day? Yeah. I think I got him with, a the, Jacob. with the best, with the different bezels. Yeah. And the Come yeah on, I, think, I think I gave him a Jacob <laughs> to get it. I got it back that time because mm -hmm. I think I wore 88 for a couple days. Because yeah. I didn't know a number. So. I got it back that time. And then when I left, I think Stefan put it on and Jeff Green had put it had put it on when I when I left. But ironically enough, to get to the, the main part of the story is that Kimber Walker um didn't know him. Obviously, I mean I know him as a I don't know him personally or whatever, but uh, we end up communicating through social media. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, actually he asked for my blessing to be able to wear number eight. And I was like, man. Um, how could you turn a guy, you know, all-star, um, and a guy that actually had the, that was nice enough to even include me in the thought process of winning a jersey. Um, so I was excited that he, that he wore it. And then I saved everybody a lot of money. If you, you really did. think about it, I saved a lot of Celtics fans a lot of money. Now, you know, Kimball Walker gets the way, the way you had Walker jersey. You can lie to him and say it's a Kimball Walker jersey. You can lie to me. I mean, you can do whatever you want to do. But that's the real Antoine Walker jersey right there. You, <laughs> you gotta take a look. I'm over to the side now. You gotta take a look. look. <laughs> hey, no, I see know, it. You know who that is? That's Mike, ain't it? Oh, that's Bill Russell, buddy. I can't see. I can't see all the way. But, uh, I, but okay. I got you. I see the height now. Yes. Okay. Yeah. That's that's the real deal. Yeah, that baby. That's that's put together. Yeah, put together. He that's what, you, that, that's the mm -hmm. that's Bill Russell. That's one of my favorite. Uh, Little pictures I got of myself or, or trophies that, that I own. That one right there. That's a big deal. That's a yes, big sir. deal. Bill Russell is no joke. But um, also side though, that was that was actually um I want to give Kimball a lot of respect for that. He didn't have to do that. No. Um he didn't have to do that at all. I like I said, we didn't have a prior relationship, but for him to reach out made me feel special. So when when assuming Kimba's jersey goes up into Raptors, number one, why is this your jersey in the Boston Celtics Raptors? You know, uh, well, I think anything to do with Celsius basketball right now, and it's it's unfortunate, um, and I'm gonna be honest that the organization, the team, teach me really, really well. When I'm in town, if I ask for anything, um, I can't. They make me feel a part of the organization. But I think me and Danny Ainge had too many spats. Okay. And and I believe Danny doesn't. I don't think Danny wants to be a part of that because I'm not one of his guys. Okay. If that makes sense, um, it does. you know, and no, and, and no offense, I hear that they're gonna retire Kevin Garnett's jersey. 
Kevin won a championship, but I don't think people think of Kevin as Boston. And that's not offense. I mean, when you, when you think of Kevin, you think of Minnesota. And, and it, it, his, he played great in Boston. I'm never taking anything away from Kevin. That's my boy. Mm-hmm. But you don't think about him being the Raptors in Boston. But I think that he's making sure he take care of his guys. For sure. And I, I was never his guy. And we, we had public arguments. This is well documented. We've had war words. And I went back there twice. I got my opinion. He's got his opinion. And up until Paul's retirement, um, we put Ball's jersey in the Raptors. I hadn't seen Daniel, spoke to Daniel. That's the first time we even said hi to each other. And for whatever reason, I wasn't I wasn't a guy he liked, and he did what he did. But I'm I'm more mature for that now, and it's gone. But I think I really don't have a lot to do with Boston, the Celtic basketball. It's because of that. I think he um, wants to make sure, and I think the organization and owners kind of try to keep that separate. And it's Danny's world right now. Danny's the GM. He's head of basketball operations, so I understand it. And you know, I don't think he wants that. Um, me in his background, so to say. That's that's real, but I'm but I'm praying that, that that does happen because you are part of Celtics history. Hey, listen, I always I always tell people this: Boston is my second home, and and that's from the organization standpoint, the way they treat me, and with the way I get treated when I come back to the city. Um, I always say that when I go back there, man, the fans make me feel great. I'm just talking about randomly just being out in public, whether I'm going to the airport, whether I'm at a restaurant. Whether I'm at a bar, whatever it is, when I when I go back to Boston, I feel like it's my second home. For sure. And, and I always tell people that I have number great things for that, and, and it's unfortunate, but people got people got to understand. And I, I, it took me a while to realize why I wasn't back in Boston in some capacity, but I get it. That's why I'm not back, and I understand that. And you know, I'm not one of Danny's guys, so he's going to make sure he take care of his guys. And that's, Twan, gentlemen, first, go, go ahead. You you have the ability uh, at your size. I think you're playing weight two forty five. You were six eight uh, to to handle like a guard, uh, and, and it's an easy thing to make the Barkley comparisons, the Clarence Weatherspoon comparisons. They're easy. Uh, a two part question: um, Were you scared of the post? And the second part is: um, Who did you model your game after back then? Like who did you like, and you said I want to play like them? Um, well, I was always one of those kids that was tall for his age. So when I was in high school, I was probably – I thought my best way to, to make it professionally was going to be at the point guard position. Okay. Um, so Magic Johnson was my favorite player. Magic was 6'9", point guard. Um, you know, so I was like, man, this is the best way for me to go. So when I was picking schools, recruiting, my junior year going to my senior year at camp and where all the, you know, the writers and publications that – I played point guard. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole that whole summer at camp at AAU basketball and stuff like that. So that's where um, I kind of thought, okay, that's the probably the best way for me to go pro or make it to pros to be a point guard. And then Magic was my favorite player, so that's where that all started from. Um, never really thought myself as a power forward um, at all. Was I scared of the post? No. When I got with Coach Patino in college, he he started to make me post up a lot more. I think if people really look at my highlights. You'll see I do a lot, lot of work from the post. Mm-hmm. And even as a pro, my biggest problem, I had, I had a great post-up game. My problem was if I had a deficiency in my game is I didn't have an in-between game. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a 15-footer. Um, you know what I mean? That was, that was probably one of my biggest weaknesses. If you, I was either trying to get all the way to the basket or I was shooting a three. I wasn't pulling up. I didn't have that Kevin Garnett 15-footer automatic, the Tim Duncan off the glass, you know what I mean, those type of guys' games. So that probably was my biggest weakness. So I actually loved the post up. I, I scored a ton of ton of posts. Um, that's what that's what people get in Mr. Shoe. Because at the time, and you got to think, now it's easy because we got – obviously the game has completely changed. But you got to remember back then it was really no big guy shooting threes at the volume that I was shooting. You get a guy occasionally – shooting a three and you know what I mean something like that but I'm talking about I was shooting seven eight a game sometimes ten a game you didn't get that at most times so I think that's what really caught people off guard where mm-hmm. as now I mean it's customary you watch the Houston Rockets play they shot 55 threes last night so it's it's it's, it's different now 
So I think people sometimes, and you get lost in the rest. I was I was a volume three point shooter. I wasn't a great three point shooter, but I can make enough. I make big ones. See, that's the big one. You when you make big ones, that's what people think. Oh, but I can make big ones. I was never one of those three point shooters that want to sit and I'm gonna challenge Steph Curry to shoot threes. Mm-hmm. No, 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 that's not what I do. Mm-hmm. I I can make big threes, and my three was used as a weapon to outdo another big guy to make yeah. him respect me, come out and guard me. And um, but I love to post up. That was one of the easiest ways for me to score. But uh, when I got pro and and changed it up a little bit, like I say, when Coach Patino moved me to the power forward, that was one of the advantages I had was being able to step out and make make shots. Shy City is yes, your sir. home, and mm-hmm. you were the baddest high school player, one of the baddest high school players to come out of the city. Who were some of the other baddest Chicago high school players back then? Woo, man, it's a whole list of them. Um, the best high school player, I'll just say this just to give him some love. The best high school player I've ever seen come out of the city of Chicago is Jamie Brandon. Mm-hmm. Um, never made a pro with the LSU, um, but he was the best high school player that I ever seen. Um, but it depends. I mean, it was guys that were a little older than me that were good, that they were like, I would say, a Juwan Howard, a mm-hmm. Michael Finley. Um, they had me by a year or two, but they were in high school when I, when I, um, when I was playing, they were a little older, um, in my class, it was different because it was really me guys that never really, they went to division one school, but they never really paid out. Like I was in school with Rashad Griffin, mm-hmm. Tommy, Ham- Tommy Hamilton, mm-hmm. um, Michael Herman, um, Ronnie Fields, Kevin Garnett came to Chicago for a year and played, um, Bobby Simmons, Crew Richardson, those guys were there's them. They were a little younger than me. I was about a year older than them. Um, year or two older than them. So you had, but Chicago high school basketball, it was, it was tough. And and you know this being from Chicago, it's so many guys that are good that never made it. Mm-hmm. They just didn't pass their test. <laughs> yeah. Came prep forty eight, had to go to junior college, and you know it just was so many of those guys that didn't pan out, but. Um, high school basketball in Chicago was great. The 96 draft class um, mm-hmm. is a loaded term uh, because there's so many guys that have come out of 84, 96, 2003. How proud are you to be uh, part of that 96 draft class? I'm very part, proud of it. Um, from top to bottom, and you know, we can argue if you, you know, people argue with me all the time. From top to bottom, even going into the second round, I think we had more impactful players than any draft ever. And, mm-hmm. you know, and that's not me being biased. That's just me just looking at the guy's resume. Um, but excited. It's a special draft class. I mean, when you look at some of the individual accomplishments of just a few players, I mean, one, Kobe Bryant, two, Steve Nash, Allen Iverson, um, you know, Ray Allen, you know, Stephon Marbury is great. Kerry Kittles, um, Lorenzo Wright, rest of God, rest his soul. Um, Sharif Abdul Rahim was a, was a monster when he played. Marcus Camby was not not shabby at all. I mean, and that's kind of like Jermaine O'Neal, late first round pick. Um, so we had so much talent in that draft. And what's special about that '96 draft class? All the guys were impactful on teams in their own way. Um, if you think about it, at one point or another, you had probably 15 guys that were actually the franchise players. Mm-hmm. And, you know, most teams don't get it right like that when they draft yeah. and guys turn into being the franchise. So you got to put that in perspective, too. No, that's real. Uh, I, you, you mentioned some of those guys that come out of your, your draft class. And so I'm going to paint the picture. Literally, uh, for those who are watching uh, on all of the different platforms, Periscope, Heavy Live uh, with uh, Scoop B talking, with uh, Antoine Walker, you can also find us on Heavy on Lakers, Heavy on Celtics, uh, as well as on Twitter. Um, that 96 draft class, Slam Magazine took that legendary picture. Uh, oh, yeah. Guys, here's my question. Where the hell was Allen Iverson in that picture? Do you know? <laughs> he probably was late, man. So I, I know a lot of people don't understand when you, when you go to the, the draft, it's a whole week process. Like, they take you out there a week and you're doing all these photo shoots, media. You got so many things going on. 
And I think he just was late, man. And they just got tired of waiting. It was hey. like one of those things that he just was late. Because, you know, because you got all the trading cards, companies out there, you're taking all these photos um, on, t- on, t- on side of being excited about being at the draft. So all those things played a part. So I think that's where he was at. <laughs> you, uh, you played at Mount Carmel. Um, with Donovan McNabb, legendary yes. Philadelphia Eagle. Um, wh- who would you compare his game to back then? Oh, um, basketball or yeah, um, basketball. We know bas- him as a football player. We, I'm curious um, from the basketball perspective. Um, I'll give you a weird name, Mitch Richmond. Yeah, um, I would say Mitch Richmond, big two guard. Um, he probably was more athletic than Mitch. Because we know Donovan was really athletic in um, yeah. high school. Yeah. But to shoot the three, tough, get a bucket for you. Um, he was a big part of my success in high school. Um, you know, I used to have to hold it down for about four or five games <laughs> until he get himself together from football because they, they were playing for a state title every year. Yeah. Um, but after that, I mean, we needed him. Uh, he was a terrific athlete. I always tell people that I was I was like telling people that Donovan could have easily played um, Division One basketball. Um, what was he major Division One? No, but he probably was mid major. Mm-hmm. He probably was a, a, a mid major player that could play real minutes and been a part of a real program. So, but Mitch Richmond, if I had to put, compare him to a pro, would be him. He, uh, but I, I don't want people to underlook that this is just a football guy playing. And it's funny because when school. And, you know, back then, a lot of people don't know. It was like you wanted to go to college. I know, yeah. now, it's, I know now it's different. You know, everybody wants to go pro. But back then, you wanted to go to college. And we used to argue every day about college, about what school we're going to go to. And Donovan was like, I'm playing both sports. If the school want me, they got to take me both sports. Got something for you you didn't know. You know, Donovan was on the team. We won the national title. Yeah. Yeah, he was on the roster. Yeah, he was Really? On, he, he was on Syracuse roster. He was play, He was on the bench. He was dressed right. in uniform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he was – he was. He played two sports for a couple years. Before on the he just, low. On the low. Before he decided just – because that was part of him going to Syracuse. He had to be able to play both sports. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people didn't know that. Where would you place your top five uh, of Chicago ball players, uh, past, present, in your lifetime, or even before? Who are your top five? Uh, first would be Mark Aguirre, um, who should be in the Hall of Fame. Um, they need, we need to start a, a petition for him, like T.O. did for himself. We need to really, uh, we need to push that for Mark Aguirre, and that's that's serious. Mark um, Isaiah Thomas um, mm-hmm. would be two. Um, three. Um, I got to go with Derrick Rose. Um, not a lot of numbers uh, for Derrick. Not a lot of um, numbers basketball wise, um, as far as like big stats. But I think he won it maybe all four years, or three out of four. He won a state title. Um, got to put him in there. Um, didn't see this, but I, I, I just, I'm just top five. I got to get Dwayne Wade. Um, got to put Dwayne Wade in there. And then I'm going to be biased. You know, I might as well put myself in there. I got to be biased. Man. You know what I mean? You have to be. It's, you could be subjective. Yeah. You, you could be subjective. You Chicago was Michael Jordan's world. He's from North Carolina. He mm-hmm. won six championships uh, in Chicago. What were, uh, what was it like to play with Michael uh, in the offseason? Um. I mean, obviously a huge fan um, of his when he was here playing, uh, rooting for him for the Bulls. The first three years that they won the titles, the next three I was actually playing against him. Um, mm-hmm. I had made it lead, made it pro by then. Uh, but for me, um, I was, it's an unbelievable time for me, 2001 to about 2007, 2008. Up until he bought the Charlotte Bobcats. I'm not sure. Hornets, I'm sorry. I keep saying Bobcats mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, but – I would never. I would trade in for for nothing in the world. Um, learned so much um, to be around to meet the greatest player to ever play the game on a daily basis. Um, 
to become a part of his inner circle, um, to be a part of his family. And um, it's something that I will always remember for the rest of my life. Um, but the basketball aspect, to see the competitive drive that he had at 39 years old was unbelievable. Uh, the work ethic that he put in um, to be the best was was unbelievable. So those are like things that I – watching the last dance was like the confirmation, like I was around the real Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, to see that footage and not be his teammate and not really know him then, and like, man, this is the same stuff I used to see at 39, just working out with him and playing with him on an everyday basis. So, um, I mean, just, you know, it was it, it's for one of those moments, if you're a sports guy, if you're a basketball guy, and you appreciate and love the game and you admire certain athletes. Um, I got to know Michael on a very personal level. Um, like I said, I was a part of the circle um, on a daily basis, not just in the summertime, um, just all all the time, and mm-hmm. I will never forget some of those moments um, that I spent with him. Um, and it wasn't all basketball; just the regular basic stuff that that we done. And and, and I'm always remember that. Swan, um, you talked about you, I guess, patterning your game after Magic Johnson. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you having the court vision at your height. Um, and I'm curious to know from your perspective in today's NBA, how would you kill it in positionless basketball? Um, I think I would have been at this in this game right now. I think I'd be one of the elite players, definitely one of the top 10, 15 players in the league right now. Uh, Cause the game just kind of, it tailors for me. It's not, um, I probably average close to, I don't know how much basketball you saw me play in, in Dallas, but I would probably be a Dallas, the way I played in Dallas, hmm. but I would have been, but I was shot more threes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because in that, Dallas, because in Dallas, I played with a lot of great three-point shooters. So I played with Michael Finley, Dirk Nowitzki, Steve Nash. So I didn't have to shoot a lot of threes in Dallas, but it would be the Dallas Mavericks type. Um, I played a ton of point forward in in Dallas, a lot of point guard. Um, but I think I would have definitely said I would say this. I definitely would have made double the money I made, and I made a lot of money playing. That's I real. Made, I would have made double the money playing. This the style right now fits me one thousand percent. You talked about the Mavericks um, and and playing alongside not just Dirk and Michael Finley. I think you played with Marquise Daniels, Jawan yes. Howard, um, a bunch of guys uh, on Dallas. Josh Howard's on that team. Yeah. yeah. When you look at um, two part question, what do you think of Steve Nash as the head coach of the Nets? Um, I'm excited for Steve. Um, I, like I said, I played with Steve, so I got a chance to know Steve uh, really well. Um, I'm excited for new blood in the NBA. I'm a big guy. It's time to get the old guys out. I love and respect them, but it's time for some new blood to come in as far as coaches. Um, mm-hmm. we, re- we recycle too much in the NBA. Everything's a recycle. And, you know, we need to start to bring in some new blood in the NBA. So I'm excited for that. Um Am I surprised? I think there's some other candidates that deserve a look. Um, I think it's a little um, disappointing when we don't give guys a certain look. Uh, and I don't know if it's I – wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily pinpoint it as being Rachel. But if I'm going through a coaching search, how you don't sit down with Teron Lue, who's coached the best player in the league game, LeBron James, how you don't sit down with a – Jason Kidd or Mark Jackson, um, and these get these guys an interview. Um, then, how do you? And what made me a little made me the most upset is you watch a guy Jacques Vaughn, who's been around your guys, do a tremendous job um, with your guys, but you don't feel like he's good enough to be the head, but he's good enough to make him the highest paid assistant. Right. I don't. I don't know. You know, and I understand Jock's position, and he, you know, he wants to keep a job. But to me, that's a slap in the face um, to do that. So maybe, but I do love the fact that we got new blood in there. Um, and Sean Marks, I don't think went about it the right way. Probably could have camouflaged it a little bit better than what he did if he had. If 
that was if that was just he was hell bent on keeping Steve. Um, but I think Steve would be fine. Anytime you come in, you can get arguably two of the top ten players in the league. And the East, I mean, you know that the East is a little bit more watered down mm-hmm. than the Western Conference. I mean, he's going to be great. He's he's, he's going to be fine. I don't know if whether or not they can win a title, but they'll be in the mix. They'll be one of the top four teams in the league next year, easily. And it ain't hard to coach talent. Mm-mm. It's not hard. Ask Steve Kerr. For sure. You talk yeah. about talent. You talk about talent. Luka Doncic and Kristaps Porzingis are young guys. Mm-hmm. Do you think um, – what do you think that the, the ceiling is for those guys if they stay healthy? I like them. Um, I'm not. I'm being honest with you. Uh, I'm not sold on European guys being my my best player, unless you're gonna do what Dallas did for Dirk. Hmm. And Dallas put together real tough-minded guys that wanted to win a championship around them. Sean Marion, the Jason Kids. Um, who was else on the team? He had he had four tight he had like four he had like four or five really good veterans around him mm-hmm. to allow him to be the best player. Mm-hmm. I think if you look at what Dallas got gonna have to do, they're gonna get a guy with some toughness. Cause I don't you know, Luca's very chop, you know, very chippy, um, into it with refs and players, but which I like. I like the swag, I like the confidence. But your best player can't do the fighting. So you gotta have somebody, you know, the basketball fighting. I mean not but you got to have some yeah. tough guys. You know, you got you to look for Charles Oakley or Dennis Rodman. You got to look at for those type of guys to play alongside them. So they got to get some tougher guys. I do like the um, – but their their potential to be great is second to none because they got a little taste. And I do like mm-hmm. some of the pieces around them. I like Tim Hardaway Jr. I like Steph Curry. They got some of the better shooters around them. So they, they've mm-hmm. already got over the threshold. But now it's time to get – a few defensive-minded guys and some role players that are, that'll take a punch, that'll do some of the dirty work, and allow those guys to be great. Tell me something. You talk about tough. You talk about playoffs. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the 2002 NBA playoffs. You as a Celtic going against the then New Jersey Nets. Kenyon Martin was your yes. was your enemy on the court, at least. Um, mm-hmm. How tough was that going against that Nets team back in 2002 for you? Well, two parts. Kenyon was Kenyon. I always tell people Kenyon's probably the toughest guy for me to go against because of my skill set, because my ability to step outside. People know Kenyon Martin's probably only six five, <laughs> but he's athletic. You know, jump to the moon, quick feet. So your typical move wasn't beat Kenyon Martin. You had to go to some extra stuff. You know, you yeah. had to go to some extra moves to get by Kenyon. He was a great defender. So we had some unbelievable battles, me, me and Kenyon. Uh, respect him to the utmost as a defender, as a competitor. Uh, so those were accurate battles. Um, we call go. I think that you know when you think about New Jersey, you think about some of those battles. We just called Jason Kidd this prime man. He was just we couldn't match up. And no offense to Kenny, Kenny's my man, um, but Kidd was unbelievable for a couple years. Those two years they went to the finals. I don't think it was no other better point guard in the game than Jason Kidd. Those two years when they went back to the back, back to back final. See, people don't understand that we got them to the East. We get them in the Eastern Conference Finals. We up two one. Then we get come back the following year. They sweep us in the second round. But those were epic battles, man. We played the played that team probably thirty times in like in two years. It seemed like, um, but we couldn't get past them. They they were they were deep. People, you know, Jason, Kerry Kidd, I mean, Kerry Kittles, Keith Van Horn, Lucius Harris, Aaron Williams. Williams. Um, they were loaded, man. Um, but they had our number for some reason. It was just, it was one of those things they had our number when it counted. You've played with some uh, great players. Dirk, mm-hmm. Paul Pierce, Shaq, Wade. Mm-hmm. Uh, who was your best teammate? Ooh, that's a nice, that's a tough question. I would say Paul. Um, and because we had so much respect for each other um, and we could push each other. Me and Paul could curse each other out, 
call each other every name in the book and we're still friends the next day and we was ready to go we had the same goals in mind we wanted to help rebuild the Celtic organization we wanted to get back to the playoffs we were able to do that um we had aspirations of one day winning the title um but we got along so well on and off the court um for the time that we played together even when i left and then came back um it was just like it was just like it was the same way when i left and that would probably be my best teammate now did i enjoy playing with some other guys no question um shaq d wade gary payton love them enjoy playing with them um some of my best teammates ever, but the, the the best was was Paul Pierce, hands down. Who's funnier, Shaq or Gary Payton? <laughs> Shaq is funnier. Shaq is really funny, man. Shaq comes. Shaq is one of those guys that make you feel good every day. Comes in, nice same attitude, no problems. Shaq is that dude that you need in the eighty-two game season. When did you know that you had to turn the Celtics over to Paul Pierce? Um, it wasn't so much turning over to him, but I felt like Paul was a better scorer than I was. I thought he got the fairness of the whistle better than me, which people may like, what do you mean? Paul could get to the foul line. If you look at what when we played together, Paul gets in line eight, nine times a game. I wasn't mm-hmm. getting the fairness of the whistle. I had too many technical fouls. I referees couldn't stand me. Um, I looked at his skill set on the offensive end to shoot the three. Great mid-range game. He'll take you inside. And that's when I really started to be like, okay, this could be a 1A, 1B type of situation. And I could defer to Paul on the offensive end. Um, but in the locker room and off the court and things of that nature, I was still a leader. Um, but it was, it, was, it, was a, it was a great partnership because um, we never did anything without each other's consent. Yeah, Ryan Hollins told me recently, um, we talked about Paul Pierce, uh, and last time we talked about it, Skip and, and Shannon ended up making it a topic on uh, their show, so we'll, I'll go for it again. Um, when you look at uh, Paul Pierce, and I guess the way he talks about LeBron, some would argue that maybe he hates LeBron, and, and Ryan Hollins said he doesn't think that's the case. What he actually thinks it is is the fact that Paul Pierce actually feels that he should be celebrated more than what he is. You look at the Kobe's, respectfully, God bless the dead. You look at LeBron, you look at the Michaels, you kind of gloss over Paul Pierce. So I guess my question for you being his teammate, do you think people take Paul Pierce for granted? I would say yes, from what I've what I've read and what I've seen. Um, I see him defend himself a lot, which um, is nothing wrong with defending yourself, but he, he shouldn't have to. Um, mm-hmm. Paul is a first-time ballot Hall of Famer. Um, I guarantee you the Camelo Anthony's, the LeBron James, um, the Kevin Durant, any elite small forwards in this league didn't want to see Paul know how tough Paul was offensively and the competitor he was. Um, it does get overlooked for whatever reason. And sometimes, you know, things go the way you finish your career. You know, Paul kind of you know, he finished good, but he, he probably could have retired a year or two before. Right. Just like Kevin Kevin Garnett. Garnett, Garnett could have probably retired a couple years before. But, hey, if you can make millions and still do what you love to do, you got to do it. Well, right. I think I think Paul is underrated when it comes to some of the greatest, and he may always go down as underrated. Um, but unbelievable. I mean, competitive. And I think when you think about, I think people don't understand is that, and you got to check the numbers. I, and I don't know these numbers off the top of my head, but I think those numbers were pretty compatible with LeBron James when they when they when they were, when they were going at it. Do you think he I, actually hates LeBron though? No, I don't think he hates LeBron. I think he I think he respects LeBron. Um, but I also, and I don't know this for sure, and I don't hate to speak for somebody. But me knowing Paul's competitive drive, Paul don't believe LeBron's that much better than him. Gotcha. And I I do believe that. I do. Paul wouldn't mind. Paul would play on one on one every day of the week. Hmm. I guarantee you that. Um, That's that's real. 
and and that and, and I know that, and that's just the competitor in them. You couldn't tell me Kobe Bryant wouldn't play Michael Jordan every day of the week. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like you know, that's that's it's kind of that type of thing. Um, I think sometimes Paul's let when he, the way it comes out on TV, it seems that way. Because I remember him commenting about D Wade, and people got mad and said that D Wade. Oh, Paul believes, yeah, he's in that category. For whatever reason, he doesn't get that notoriety that those guys get. He's not celebrated like those guys, but he he is that guy. People got to go back and look at prime Paul Pierce. And I think because he won it with, with KG and Ray, he don't get the, the same acclimates, you know, the same credit as mm-hmm. other guys. But if I remember, Paul Pierce was the MVP of the finals. Paul Pierce was was still that guy. When those guys came on that team, were were two of your former teams uh, are currently in the playoffs. So you got a matchup tonight: uh, the Boston Celtics mm-hmm. and the Toronto Raptors. Game five. What have you been paying attention to during the series? Do you like the series? Um, I, I love the series. I, the Celtics are doing much better than I thought. I thought they were going to have problems. I didn't know how healthy Kemba Walker was, and I thought you know um, he was not a hundred percent. And I'm, I'm not sure where he's at, but he's played pretty good um, right. so far. So I was worried about him. Um, I thought they were going to miss Gordon. Um, when you take 17 and a half points out your lineup, you usually miss that. I, I don't care. I know the Celtics have three guys that average 20 points, but I thought they would miss Gordon a little bit. And I worried about the size of the Celtics. I thought um, – I didn't know Robert Williams, who's playing great, was going to play as good as he's been playing. Um, I worried about him a little bit. Um, but they, they've surprised me. They, they played terrific basketball. One thing you got to understand about Toronto, Toronto's a veteran team. They won last year. They won last year. They did. Um, that group has been in some battles. Uh, they play off tough now. And they play together. It's a, it's a hard team to prepare for because they don't really have a star. I think Kyle Lowry's a very, very good player. Um, Pascal Siakam could be a good player in this league where he could be considered one of the elites. He's not there yet. I know he made the all-star team, but he's not there yet. Um, Because on any given night, Franz Van Fleet can be their best player. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's just a hard team to prepare for. Um, But I thought their size would give the Celtics problems. Gasol and Serge Ibaka would give them some problems inside. And the Celtics have handled that really, really well. I think it's a seven-game series. And I'm gonna be honest with you, I don't know. I don't know who's gonna win it. I I know it's going. I, one thing I'm kind of sure it's going seven. But if yeah. you, know how, you know how the game sevens go. Rough, and it you can know, go any which direction. It can go, it can go. You know, it it could be the the fifth best guy. It could be Marcus Smart hitting five threes in the quarter. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, they the Celtics win the series. Um. So it's it's, it's one of those things. I mean, obviously, you know, I'm a root for the Celtics in, the, in this moment, but I think it's going seven games. Great series. What's your prediction for game five? I actually like Toronto tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why, I just think the momentum has swung. I think they're going to loosen up a little bit. They're going to be a little bit more free. Um, Celtics being up 2-0, losing, you know, that, that heartbreaking three. Now the series is tied. They got to kind of bounce back, get their stuff together. So you, you, I think about that too as well. The other team, uh, the other series rather, that's nobody expected the uh, Bucks to do what they did last night without Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's who's hurt. Uh, your Miami Heat uh, have a three-one lead over the Bucks. Is there any chance in heaven that you think the Bucks get <laughs> back? Nah, he's too banged up and. Um, I hope they don't bring him back. I think about Grant Hill's situation back when they was about to get swept, mm-hmm. and they brought him back, and Grant Hill ended up hurting his ankle for um, and being out and never come being the same player. I think Giannis has to think about his future. He's got too much on the table in the offseason. If you could have played for the Bulls during your career, although they weren't the best, uh, you know, recently, but I guess in your career, how would the Bulls have done? We'd have been horrible. <laughs> We'd have been horrible, man. We didn't. Uh, the baby bulls. Um, I don't. And in the team, even though towards the end, um, in the middle of my career, they started to do it. But 
in the beginning, they were not. They were rebuilding. They mm-hmm. weren't thinking about it. They had the season seats sold for the next 10 years. They wasn't they wasn't rebuilding. Uh, once they got Derek and number one pick is when they started to really actually put some money back into the team and putting some pieces around there. And I think Derek was drafted in like 2008. So that was towards the end of my career. That It, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been horrible. And I would have been out of a shitload of money just paying for tickets and having the whole family there for nothing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it just would have been. It would have been. It would have been a disaster. Tell me something, Twan. A few more questions. You um, talked about the Bucks and Heat series. Um, I'm curious to know what you think about the current Heat culture. Heat. Do you think they have a chance to win it all this season? I like the Heat. Uh, I do know about their culture very well. I love Eric Spoelstrom. One thing I know, they're going to be prepared. They're going to play hard. Um, they're going to have a system down pack. Um, Jimmy Butler, um, his offensive game is a lot more polished than I thought it was. Watch him mm-hmm. take over games Scoop late. Um, but they're going to have a shot because they, they match any team in the East with style of play. They can play small. They got serviceable bigs. But they can shoot the three. And what I love about it is they, can, they got a guy that can close the game out. Mm-hmm. And Jimmy Butler, who's going to make the right play, can score the basketball or get the ball to the shoes. They got a legitimate shot. Um, and prior to the bubble, I didn't realize how good they were. And from the bubble and now I'm watching them in the playoffs, they're very good. And they could be good for a couple years because they got some young pieces. Look in your crystal ball. Do you think there's a snowball's chance uh, somewhere in heaven uh, that Giannis would fit in a heat system and would you like to see it he fits anywhere and he anywhere he fits in any system um i'm a loyal i'm one of them loyal guys so i would i'm not going to even sit here and say i want to see him go somewhere else i want him to keep the milwaukee books good that's just me personally um for him business wise personal wise depending what type of player he wants to be if he wants to be Considered one day in that elite category, he probably he probably has to leave Milwaukee and go to a bigger market and do some things for himself um, off the court. I'm not sure how important that is to him, um, but basketball wise, he can play on any team. I'm I'm a little bit more into staying with your team and doing it with your team. So I would love to see him stay in Milwaukee and continue to build that team up. And it's gonna be some bumps in the road. He's 24 years old, but one thing I can say about this, and I don't want to. Watching these playoffs, he has so much more he can improve on. That's what makes it special. He's got a he's got a lot to work on. He's got to get himself a consistent jump shot. He has to get him an in-between game. And he's gonna have to get him a post-up. And I know it's like, wow, this guy's gonna be two-time MVP. Why would you say he needs all his work? In order for him to get to the next level, he's getting exposed right now. So he's getting exposed mm-hmm. by a very good Miami team, well coached, and he has he's gonna have to do some things to get his game up. You don't have to get great. You don't have to be the greatest three-point shooter or greatest mid rank You just have to get some things in your game to loosen it up, to make the game easier for yourself as he continues to grow. And, and if he's willing to do that, I mean, I think he's going to be the MVP this year, but he may get it a couple more times. That's how talented he is. How did it feel to finally get a ring in Miami? Uh, it was unbelievable for me. Um, because I had never played for, uh, I mean, when I was in Boston, it was all about let's get to the back to the playoffs, let's become a playoff, consistent playoff team. The championship was always kind of a long shot in, our, in, the, in the mindset, at least in my mindset. I was like, man, I just want to get to the playoffs and, you know, see if we can, how we could do in the playoffs and be on the big stage. And then all of a sudden there's a free agent you signed with Shaq and D-Wade, and that's the only goal. The only goal is a title. Uh, it's a different preparation. It's a different mindset. And not only just playing with them, I'm playing with Gary Payton, Alonzo Mourning, James Posey, Jason Williams, Udonis Haslam. You know, I'm playing with all guys that are like in the prime of their career or at the end of their career that all they care about is championships. So my mindset had to change. And I just was proud of myself that I was able to lock in to that type of team and be able to be a big part of what we was able to accomplish. So it was everything to me. And I would always tell people it was the funnest year I've ever been, I ever played as a pro. Um, fifth, we had this thing that was, you said, 15 strong, where we were all, um, that we had to do it together. 
But this is the only team, man, you would go on the road. It'd be seven, eight guys out to dinner together. Um, we always had each other back. No matter, we didn't have a great season. I mean, it was average, you know, 52 games. But the whole goal the whole season was winning title. We knew that we were built to win a title. No matter what nobody else said, no matter all the ups and downs. You got to remember, we went through a coaching change. We had mm-hmm. Stephen Gundy as a coach. Pat came down. No matter whatever we went through, the goal was to win a title. And that's what made it really special. And I would, I would never forget that. The Stan Van Gundy, Pat Riley switch. To me, I was in college when that happened. And to me, mm-hmm. when I saw what they said and what it actually was, I'll be honest with you, I thought it was BS. Was it really him making a decision to leave for the betterment of the team? Or was he really just not getting along with players in that locker room? Stan got along. I mean, he does it differently. Stan's a screamer and a yeller. Okay. With the, with the type of team that we got, that don't necessarily, that don't necessarily work all the time. And not saying it had to be the player's way, but he was just, you know, a screamer and yeller. I think what, what it was, I think, you know, Pat was very involved at the time. Um, he's very involved in his coaches, whether from what I've seen, leaving notes, and he's in every practice, he's in every trip. He's involved. Uh, and, you know, for some coaches, that's difficult to do, to have your boss on, on your back, on your heels all the time. Mm-hmm. And I think that was something Stan was probably a little bit tired of. Um, it probably had – it was a crash course. Uh, Pat was a little um, anxious because we were, I think we were like 10 and 10. But Shaq had missed like the, the first 10 games of the season. So we were only like 10 and 10. So I think that played a big part too. Uh, Pat was one to win right away. But – it was good to have power come down. We couldn't have won it. Um, no, no, nothing to take away from Stan, but I, that was a Pat Riley type team. Literally Pat, have to. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Pat, Pat Riley didn't need to be the coach. That was the right move by Pat coming down. Yeah, and y'all won it. Um, yeah. Literally have two more questions. Number yes. one, would you like to – two-part question in this first question. Would you like to see a Lakers-Celtics NBA Finals and who on the Celtics is checking LeBron? I would love to see that. I don't know. If, I, I think about that game that was right before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. When Jason Tatum, I think he had like 40. Mm-hmm. 30, like It was like one of those games. Um, Marcus Smart. I like to see Mark. I, I mean, no, he's, he's got a little height on Marcus, but Marcus Smart. I think he could do it. He, he, you know, he could be the one guy that I like to see on him. And I think that's what makes the Celtics a good, good chance to play against him in the finals. Well, it would make a good matchup in the finals because the Celtics have multiple bodies to throw at him. You know, you can put a Tatum on him. You can put a Jay LeBron on him, Marcus Smart. One thing a lot of teams don't have is a lot of bodies to put on LeBron, and the Celtics do have that. Fleet Center or Rupp Arena? Ooh. That's a nice one. I'm going to go with the Fleet Center, but I'm only going with the Fleet Center because in the playoffs, we used to call it the jungle. And that mm-hmm. thing used to get really – we can get that thing really loud. Rupp Arena, 24,000, great atmosphere, blue and white, but we got an older fan base mm-hmm. for college basketball. So you can actually come in there, even though a lot of teams don't come in there and get wins. We don't, you usually don't come in there and get wins. But it's not intimidating playing there. A lot of older fans, kind of more reserved crowd. Um, where when the fleet center, when it's in the playoffs mode, ain't nothing like it. Ain't nothing like it. Here's the good news. You, you, you gave us your prediction for Celtics uh, Raptors. Mm. You said you think that the uh, Heat closed it out uh, against uh, the, the Bucks in the next game. Uh, I think you pretty much uh, punched your time clock in. Uh, employee number eight, you're officially off the hot seat. <laughs> I appreciate it, man. Thank you. My man, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, happy Labor All right. Day. All right. Thanks, brother. My appreciate man. it. This is Scooby Radio saying, you bring the coffee, and I'll bring the Dunkin'. Kaboom! Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 
My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 